we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us, God. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to uh, sing your praises and an opportunity to open your word, God, and to say, thus saith the Lord, and find out what you have us to know about you and what you have us to know about ourselves, God. Um, we thank you for this opportunity and pray that you will speak. And whatever we hear today from you, God, we'll be able to apply to our lives or apply our lives to it, God, uh, such that we can be the body that you would have us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, John chapter 17. Um, quick recap from last week. We talked about, um, uh, we started at verse um, 13, and this is Jesus's prayer, the Lord's prayer. Jesus was praying to God right before the events at Calvary, uh, right before they met him in the garden and, and took him away. He prayed for us, and he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for all those who would Follow him based on the word of his disciples. And basically, still talking about the word of God in our series on the body and the word of God. Basically, what we learned from the word last week was that the word of God is that which distinguishes us from the world. And the word of God is that which causes conflict. And so in the scriptures, we looked at verse 14. Jesus said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they're not of the world as I am not of the world. And so we talked about the world, the world system. We talked about um, our distinctions should be evident such that the world should hate us. Uh, there should be some strict separation between us and the world. There should be some uncompromising hostility between us and the world. Uh, we talked about how the word of God is what was that separation. The word of God, unbeknownst to any other religion that's out there, uh, we have the word of God. It what distinguishes us from any religion. It's the truth of the word of God. And we see that in um, in the scriptures there. Jesus said, I've given the word and your word is truth. That's in, uh, let's see, John 17. This is him praying. Um, Everything is yours. Give them to me. They have kept your word. Talk about the word of God, how, how the word of God is true. Um, and so because of the truth of the word, oh, we can get down to that. Because of the truth of the word. This is what separates us from the world. We talked about the thing about the Bible is that, and as Padilla gave the message, how people attack the word of God. Because if they can show that something is scientifically wrong with the word or something is uh, uh, archaeologically wrong with the word, then they can say, well, if it's lying about that, it's probably lying about the other things. But we saw last week how that the scripture has never been proved wrong scientifically. There's never been in fine in archaeology or anything that says, oh, that disproves the Bible. And because it reigns true in its scientific areas, because it's true in its historic areas, because it's true in its archaeological areas, um, because we found that it's always reliable and true there, then we are justified in concluding that it would be equally true in those things that we can't test with science equally true about those things. So that's why the world attacks the word, because if they can prove it's wrong, we can throw the whole thing out. But they have not because they cannot. We talked about the exclusivity of the word of God, how it's unique, how it's distinct, how it's rare, how uh, uh, the word is offensive and distasteful and obnoxious and shocking. And the world tells the truth about everything. That's one thing I learned in studying this that, that I've I guess you always knew it, but it's, it really stood out to me. And the thing about the word of God is that it tells the truth. It tells the truth about me. So no matter what I believe about myself, I'm good. 
I'm okay. The Bible says, no, you are, your mouth is an open sepulcher. It's like if somebody go out to a graveyard and dig up a grave and open a coffin, the dead, rotten, fly-infested maggot skin that's still there, that's what I am on the inside, apart from Christ. And to think of that, it just puts myself in perspective. That's what the Word says. Um, The Word says, well, you know, no matter what my thoughts are, no matter what my desires are, what the Word says is true, and I need to balance the truth of the Word with that. Um, how that the word of God and Paul talks about it in Galatians and we looked at Galatians chapter one and he presented the truth God and he said be careful not to distort, distort the truth of the word and we do that when he talked about the problem was trying to please the people has idea of trying to thrill them emotionally you know say oh we need to make sure everyone's happy and everybody's feeling good when the word says no preach the word and exactly what the word says and then uh, I put on Facebook the article that I had wished I had printed out. Y'all get a chance to see that. Um, and I kind of put the, the original article uh, uh, from Archibald Brown. And then I put like my highlighted version because there are some things in there that I thought that was really crazy that I wanted to bring out. I won't bring it out now since I already put it up there. But the idea of, you know, what he said, how that sometime, you know, right now people are bringing thrill and amusement to church instead of the unadulterated word of God. So I thought that was interesting. And so the question from last week was that I asked myself was, do I maintain a strict separation with the world? In my life, am I in uncompromised hostility with the world system because of the fact that I stand on the truth of the word of God? And I think that's where we as the body of Christ need to make sure we're focusing on that I'm standing on the truth of the word and that I will use the word of God to distinguish me from anyone else and the word of God to not try to water it down, but allow, as Padilla said, the word of God to do what it does uh, in that. Then we talked about how the word of God sanctifies the body and we looked at the word sanctifies and it has the idea. Anybody remember what sanctification means? The word we used a couple weeks ago? What's the compound word? Sanctify means to... Oh, there you go, Miguel. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. To holy eyes. And that word was to holy eyes. When we talk about what eyes was, it turns into an action word. And so to holy eyes. And the Bible says that the word will holy eyes. Verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's the word verse I was looking for earlier. Your word is truth. And so Jesus said, holy eyes them, make them holy with the truth of your word. And so not only does the word distinguishes us, but the word sanctifies us. And we looked at that, set us apart. Twice it says they are not of the world. Twice it says sanctify them, pull them out, separate them, make them holy. We should be as uncomfortable as a fish is outside of water. Think about that. Can a fish live out of water? No, can't live, can't breathe, can't do anything outside of water. Because it's not where it should be. It's not it's an environment. Or if I went and just dove into the deepest part of the sea and tried to chill there for more than, I can hold my breath for about a minute. So after that, I'm, I'm pretty much done. And so the idea is to, we should be as contrast to this world as a fish out of water because of where we are. And God wants to separate us and sanctify us and holify us or holyize us to his use. So those are the two things we looked at last week. 
The word of God distinguishes us, causes conflict, and the word of God sanctifies us. The last two that we were going to look at today is what the word of God continues to do. And I'm going to start reading at 17 on down from uh, John 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I'm reading out of the, I think this is the Holman uh, translation today. Uh, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so they may also be sanctified by the truth. I pray not for these, verse 20, but also for those who believe in me through their message. I love that portion of scripture because Jesus is praying for me. You know, he said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, for those who believe through the message. And I'm one who believe because of their message. So Jesus there is praying for me. What does he pray in verse 21? May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. The word of God unifies the body. And that's what this portion of scripture is talking about, the unity in the body. Notice what Jesus said, verse 21. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. Unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. And it's all centered around what he started off with saying. Sanctify them in your church. Your word is truth. And so the word of God, the whole idea is for us to be unified in the body of Christ. Now, I like how Tozer puts this uh, uh, in one of his books. I think it was uh, Pursuit of God. I think it was Pursuit of God. Um, Tozer put this, and I'm going to read straight from Tozer here. We talked about unifying in the body of Christ. Um, Before I read that, in verse 21, notice the unity there. The unity there is not necessarily may they be one with each other. The unity there is may they all be one. Well, how? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. So the unity that Jesus is talking about here is not necessarily that me and you are in unity with one another. But the unity that we're talking about, that God refers to the body of Christ, is unity with God. It's unity with God, unity with God, unity in Christ. Tozer says this, um, 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork. Y'all have seen a tuning fork, right? It's like this long thing, and you hit it, and it vibrates and makes a noise. It's a tuning fork. 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are on one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard, to one which each must individually bow. So Toja says, if I take a tuner, piano tuner, and I have 100 pianos in a room, if I tune each one of those pianos to this tuner, uh uh-huh, tune that one to this one, tune it to this, tune it to this, if I tune all those 100 pianos to this one fork, Guess what? All those pianos will sound the same. Not because they were tuned with each other, but they were all tuned to one standard. Uh, I play a lot of instruments, and it was interesting, like back in the day, like now you have like guitar tuners on your phone and stuff where you can just pull it up and tune it. Back then we didn't have that. 
And so we actually literally had to take the guitar or my bass, and we went to a new church. Of course, they had pianos, they had keyboards and stuff, so we had to find a note, and they had to tune my bass, boom, 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 Then I go to the next string, boom, And I have to tune my bass to whatever the piano was in the church we were playing. The guitar player would have to come, he come over there and tune his guitar to the piano. Therefore, I'm tuned to the piano, he's tuned to the piano. We're all in the same tune. What Tozer is saying is that, and I'm going to read to him. So if I have 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, they are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be where they become in unity to each other, turning their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So what he's saying here is that just how if I had one tuner and tuned 100 pianos to it, If you take the body of Christ and instead of us all trying to unify with each other, if we spend our times becoming one with Christ, that one standard, by definition, what will happen? We would all be in the same tune. We will all sound the same. If I tried to look like Christ and Jaden tried to look like Christ and Ray tried to look like Christ and we all continue to like Christ, that means we all look the same. And if Faithy started acting like Jesus and Paria started acting like Jesus and LOS started acting like Jesus, guess what? We're all acting like Jesus. And so that's the idea there, not necessarily, and that's different how unity is taught today in church. Unity today in church is taught, you know, unity. We need to all come together and have some coffee. You know, we're going to all going to have an have a, a ice cream social. We're all going to come together and, you know, get to know each other so we can all, and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's disadvantage to the body of Christ when we focus our attention on each other, trying to be like each other or unity this way, when the whole idea is unity toward God. And as we use Christ as our standard, then I, because I'm looking like Christ and acting like Christ and talking like Christ, and Brenda, because she's looking like Christ and acting like Christ and talking like Christ, and Faithy, because she's looking like Christ, and talking like Christ, and acting like Christ, then all of a sudden, we have a body who's all, what? Looking like Christ, acting like Christ, talking like Christ. Uh, Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Paul talks about this concept also in Philippians uh, chapter 2. And he talks about this, and I'll just read it. Uh, Philippians 2, if you get there, say amen. Amen. That was quick. Verse two, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship in the spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy. Here we go. By thinking the same way. King James say be like minded, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focus on one goal. So the idea there, say, be like minded, be of one love, be of one spirit. I like to look at it as. Uh, um, the why and the therefore. So the why, Paul says here, be, have, uh, think the same way or be like-minded. That has to do with my thinking. Make sure I think the same way. How? Like Christ. How do I know what Christ thinks? Following the word of God. And so if I think the same way, I look at that as the doctrine. I'm thinking, I know, my doctrine aligns up with scriptures, it lines up with what Christ says, it lines up with what God says. So therefore, now as a body of Christ, we're all thinking the same way. So we got the why. 
Now the therefore. So because we're now thinking the same way, what do we do? Paul says, be of one love and of one spirit, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on the same goal that has the idea of having the same desires, the same passions, uh, the same ambitions. That's the application. All the same. Where did it come from? If there be any encouragement in Christ and the fellowship of the spirit, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. All the same way pointing toward Christ. Our social, and Tozer said this, our social religion is perfected when our private religion is perfected. And so I become a better Christian socially with others, with you, with the body of Christ. That becomes better when my religion this way, my relationship, my fellowship, my interactions with Christ is perfected. And so that's how in the body of Christ we become unity. We become unified by strengthening my relationship with Christ, strengthening my relationship in the word. Then my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ is going to strengthen. Why? Because we're going to look the same. Why? Because we're all looking like Jesus. We all have been tuned to the same key. And because we're all tuned to the same standard, then we're all going to be looking like each other. Um, And so I think about that in my life. Is my private religion being perfected? You know, I didn't bring my guitar today, but, you know, the the question should be, and I should apply to my life and you guys too, do I tune myself daily to Jesus? You know, with, with the guitar, you know, you take it and you hit the note and doom, 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 and you get on the guitar, it's boom. And so you take the little knobs and you boom, 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 boom. Okay, so now I'm tuned. That's what the Bible says, that we all should be following that same standard. So the question is, when I wake up each morning, do I tune myself to Jesus? And so when those situations come, then let's say I'm, uh, confronted with a choice to make. Do I take time and tune my choice to Jesus? So I say, okay, Jesus, what would Christ do in this scenario? Or what does the word say? And so I take out the standard of the word and take out the standard of Christ and I tune my thoughts to make sure that they line up with the scripture. Then I make the right decision. Or I tune my desires. I really want to do that. How does that desire sound and compare to scripture? And so I play my desire and I play the scripture. And so I take my desire and I tune my desire by studying the word, by praying, by seeing what God says, by applying it to my life. And pretty soon my desire is now sounds just as sweet as the word of God. Because I've taken time to tune my life, to tune my desires to that. That's that practical application. When I do that, when my private religion is lined up with God, now my fellowship is better. Why? Because we all look the same. We all sound the same. We all talk the same. Now we can be unified in one body. Um, keep reading in, in, in Philippians 2. Then Paul goes, uh, everyone should look not, I'm sorry, verse 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Then he talks about uh, uh, how, what Christ did and how Christ uh, left his glory in heaven, came down to earth, became a servant, died for us. And so when we get down to verse 12, he says, so then, dear friends, just as you have, all, have always obeyed 
Talk about the word of God. Not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and shriveling. And so the idea is that uh, verse 13, for it is God who's working in you and enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. All that goes back to making sure we are of the same mind, of the same love and of the same spirit. Then in obedience, we can work out God's purpose for us. And so the word of God unifies us. And that only happens when I tune my life, make sure that the sound of my life, the voice of my life, the thoughts of my life, my ambitions in my life, make sure that all those things are tuned with the word of God. And so just like that guitar that's out of tune, I need to daily check that to make sure it lines up with scripture. Not only that, it's a way to do it. Another way, um, if we look at, um, go over to Philippians, one page over, verse, chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what was behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. How do I make sure that my individual, personal spirituality or walk with God is perfected? Because as I perfect my individual walk with Christ, then our collective walk with Christ is perfected. So one way to do that is make sure that you tune. The other way, and I think Tozer talks about this also, is uh, he refers to, you know, what spiritual grade are you in? So Paul says in chapter in uh, Philippians 3.13, I do not consider myself taking hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I reach forward to what is head. And so you're thinking about in school, we start off in kindergarten or maybe pre-K, and then you go to first grade and then second grade. And then third grade and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh, eighth, ninth, 11th, 12th. And you graduate and you may go to college, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Then you may go to grad school and get your master's. And so you got three years of that and you might go get your doctorate. And so it's a constant elevation of knowledge. It's a constant getting deeper and deeper and deeper in understanding. But some people, you know, some people who may not continue to move on in grades. There was a guy, um, I don't call his name, but he played basketball with Jaden. Actually, we played him in football the other day. Uh, 17-year-old freshman. And, you know, he's running against our JV team, which is, I mean, he's almost 18 years old. You know what I'm saying? But he, for whatever reason, he was in, what, three years? Yeah, three years behind. Four years behind, for whatever reason. I talked to a friend of ours and um, a couple of weeks ago. I actually was talking to Melissa. And she told, was telling her that uh, they kept their son back one year because he wasn't as tall as the other kids. So they decided to keep him back because the other kids were taller than him. It's like, what? <laughs> but, but there's different reasons why that could happen. But the question is, and, and I think today they have like the graduations from first grade to second grade and third grade to fourth grade. They didn't have that little, you only graduated after high school. That was it. But with all these many graduations, what they do is say, hey, you were here at this level, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now we're in this grade. We're not going to teach you the ABCs. You should already know those. And so we're going to go to something else. Okay, we're going to teach you uh, math. One plus one is two. Okay, now we're going to another grade. We're not going to teach you one plus one is two. We're going to a whole other grade. Why? Because I'm continuing to grow. 
I'm continuing to get deeper in knowledge, continuing to learn. The question is, apply that spiritually, and you can ask yourself this. What grade are you in spiritually? You don't have to tell us. Just think about it. What grade are you in? If we would look at your spiritual walk and your spiritual growth as grade, are we still in the first grade? Are we still learning our ABCs? Are we still stuck in the, the elementary milk of the word? Or are you in second grade? Third grade? Fourth grade? And think about how long you've been following Christ and then what spiritual grade you would put yourself in. And that's a question I applied in my life. I've been saved since I was six years old. That's 36 years. Yeah, it's older than you was born. You weren't even born. March 9th, 1980 was when I got saved. Yeah. So, and I think about that and I say, okay, where should I be spiritually if I've been walking with Christ for 36 years? And, and I look at where I am and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm got to held back a couple of years. But that's the question we need to ask ourselves because why? Paul says, forgetting what's behind, I'm continuing to press forward. My individual spiritual life, the perfection of that is shown and magnified when we all come together in unity. And so I need to make sure that I'm constantly growing, constantly maturing in the word, constantly growing in the word, such that my relationship with Christ That means I begin to look more like Christ, act more like Christ, talk more like Christ, respond to situations more like Christ would respond to situations. And as I do that, and each one of you do that, then the entire body will begin to mature and grow more like Christ. And so the word of God unifies us. And lastly, John 17, the word of God is what empowers us to evangelize. So I'm going back to John 17. I'm going to read 21 again. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. Watch this. So the world may believe you sent me. How do we get the world to believe in Jesus? How do we get the world to believe there's a God who sent Jesus? The phrase before that says, may they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. The oneness, the body, the oneness of the body that distinguished, distinct, detached and disconnected from the world system by total alignment, total obedience, total dependence and total proclamation of the scriptures being unified through the Godhead that is what causes people to believe in Christ, to believe in God. Once the body is one, then and only then will, as it says here, the world know you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. All through this portion of scripture that Jesus is praying, he says those things. The world will know Jesus. The world will know the Father. The world will know that God loves them. And if you look back at verse 21, that the world may believe. So the question becomes, if the unity of the word, I'm sorry, unity of the body of Christ, all under the word of God, 
That is the only thing, and that is the way that we get the world to know Jesus, that we get the world to know God the Father, the way that we get the world to know that God loves them, so that the world may believe. And it's all tied up and aligned up in the word of God. We have to be distinguished from the word. We have to be holified or sanctified by the word. We have to be unified by the word. And then, because of our distinguishedness, distinction, I think is a better word, because of our holiness and because of our unity, then the world will see and believe. That's what the scripture says. Our focus shouldn't be on gimmicks, tactics, marketing schemes uh, uh, that soothe or appease the world just to get them in the door or to make it more appreciative or to make it more agreeable or more appetizing. Our focus should be on making sure that I am distinct from the world, making sure that I am constantly holyizing by the truth of the word of God and making sure that I'm unified in the body. And how do we talk about unity in the body? By me making sure I am lined up with Christ and each one of us making sure we're aligned with Christ. Once we do that, then the world will know. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the world will know God loves them in verse 23 and the world can believe. And I think about that, how I, what our focus should be. We talk about reaching the world because that's our purpose, the Great Commission. We ought to go to make disciples. And so instead of gimmicks, line up with the word. Be distinct, which is kind of like the opposite of what the world's doing. You know, some churches have uh, haunted houses during Halloween. So people can, we just, you know, it's just so kids can come and, you know, then they get scared a bit and then we can talk, tell them about Jesus. You know, and nothing's technically wrong with a haunted house, I guess. But for the purpose of winning souls, I think the Bible tells us distinctly what we should do to do that. Uh, I went to a church and they had, um, after the service, the pastor went in the back and he came out dressed as Santa Claus. It's the first time I've ever seen this in my life. The pastor came out dressed as Santa Claus, came on the pulpit, and had the kids line up and set them on their knee, asked them what they want for Christmas, and gave them each like a cookie or a present or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, you know... Is there anything inherently wrong with Santa Claus? Somebody dressed up as Santa Claus? Probably not. Are you going to burn in hell because you dressed in Santa Claus? Probably no. But I'm just thinking that, you know, <laughs> there should be some distinction between us and the world, especially in the body of Christ, especially in the house of God, especially on the pulpit. There should be some it's distinctions um, um, there. I, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with Easter eggs, and some churches have Easter egg hunts, and I've just never been fond of those things because I'm like, why are we, why are we mixing? Why are we bringing in? And, you know, oh, it's cool because we get to tell them about Jesus when they're picking up eggs. Yeah, that's, that's true. We can do that. But I really get upset when I see all those extra things going on, the focus there, and there isn't any focus on the word. That's when I can distinguish and say, okay, listen, you have your this. But why are we lacking in this department? Where's the focus on the word of God? Where's the challenge to the body to tune themselves to Christ? Where's the challenge to the body to what grade are you in spiritually? About time for us to get out of the ABCs. About time to step up and say, okay, I'm now going to get my bachelor's in, spirit, in Christianity, in my walk with Christ. 
you know, and that takes studying the truth of the word uh, of God. The word of God should be our unwavering. What should bring people to Christ should be our unwavering allegiance to the word of God, the scriptures, our strict separation from the world, our uncompromised hostility to the world, the holyizing of the word and the constant perfecting of my personal private walk, the constant perfection of my personal private walk with God. When all that's done, that should be an all-out stampede toward, toward being unified with Christ. A full court press, to use the basketball team. An all-out blitz, to use the football term, because today is the first day of football. I'm going to tie that into the message. An all-out blitz. Everything but the, 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 the kitchen sink. Send it all. That should be my attitude toward my personal walk with Christ. When I read the scriptures, it shouldn't be just to, oh, daddy told me to read, my mama told me to read my script Bible before I did anything, so I read it and I'm good to go. No, it should be a studying of the truth of the word so that my life is tuned to Christ. So whatever his sound is, and I listen to his word, that way I tune my life to that. So my attitude is that way. My life is that way. I approach things that way. My attitude at work is like that. My attitude with my wife is like that. With my husband is like that. With my parents, with my friends. Tune to the word of God so that my personal relationship with him is strengthened. And as each one of us focus and concentrate on that all out blitz that continually graduating from first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, twelfth grade, graduate school, doctor's degree, super cum laude, whatever, magna cum laude. As I continue to strengthen my spiritual individual relationship, and we all do that, then as a body we become mature, as a body we look more like Christ, and then we can move forward. And then the world will know and believe that Jesus Christ was sent from God. And so what's my responsibility? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that our responsibility is to accept the word of God as truth. Absolute, unadulterated truth. My next responsibility is to be fully obedient to the word of God. John chapter 15 I'm sorry, John chapter 14, verse 15 says, Jesus, again, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It sounds so simple, right? If you love me, you will keep my commands. Where do I find the commands of the word God? In his word, in his scripture. And so there should be an active keeping of the commands of God to show my love for him. I should not compromise God's word. Paul said in Galatians chapter one, don't compromise, don't water down the word of God. Stand on the truth of what it is. Tune myself daily. Every day I should be tuning myself to Christ, tuning myself to the scripture. Holyizing, being sanctified, growing. I should be graduating from first grade to second grade. I shouldn't be satisfied with just, oh, I read one verse today, so I'm good. Oh, I, I, I listened to somebody preach on the radio, so I'm good. Oh, I sang a song uh, today, so I'm good. Oh, I prayed before I went to sleep, so I'm good. All those things are preschool stuff. We should be well beyond that. Well beyond that. We should be diving into the theological matters of the word and applying those to our lives and taking it out to others. That's where we should be in the body of Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Studying, meditating, memorizing, and applying the word of truth to our lives. This is the purpose of the word, to distinguish us, 
to make us holy by his truth, to unify us as a body so that we can bring others to Christ, so that the world can see. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for how your word distinguishes us, God. We thank you how your word is what makes us holy by applying the truth of your word, God. And I pray to the body of Christ, God, that we will be unified first to you and tune our lives, tune our minds, tune our thoughts, tune our actions, tune our responses, tune our attitudes, tune our work ethics to you, God, and to your word, and so that we are in perfect harmony with you. Pray, God, that we won't be satisfied with being first-grade Christians. We won't be satisfied with being fifth-grade Christians, God. But our goal is to get that degree in our spiritual walk, that high school diploma, and then that bachelor's degree, and then that master's degree, and then that doctor's degree. And as Paul said, we keep going. I keep pressing toward the mark of the high calling, God. I pray, God, that as we unify, become, I'm sorry, as we become unified to you, that we as a body will be unified to each other, God. And then from then, God, we can now stand distinct on the truth of your word and so that the world will know that you are God, the world will know that you love them, and that the world may believe, God. And I pray that we be a body, no matter how big, no matter how small we are, that we be a body, God, that as the world see us, that they will believe in you. Help us, God, as we make disciples. Thank you, God, for this time to worship you and to love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.